Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View, where we are now podcasting by coastal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why uh, one of us is decidedly more caffeinated than the other. Absolutely. I have not had coffee. Actually, I've been working on having less and less coffee since I no longer have a day job. Like I've just been enjoying coffee, but not like having it. Relying on it. Yes. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Uh, But I am in Seattle, so I will be having so much good coffee while I'm here. Mm -hmm. You're in the land of coffee. I am. So, uh, so far so good. I mean, like you, you're really just beginning this great Toth McCary adventure. Yeah. So we're on day six and Matt left basically a week ago, Virginia and drove via Chicago and, um, Mount Rhymes, you know how I am about Rushmore. So just like, just give me a minute. So Mount Rushmore, South Dakota, Sioux Falls was the first, I think. And Mm. then Mount Rushmore. And then, um, what else did he do? He did Yellowstone. So he drove through like Wyoming and Montana all the way to Seattle. And, Um, his bucket list was going to see Yellowstone, and it was pretty funny. I feel like you would appreciate his takeaway was like, we're all going to die. That is the biggest volcano <laughs> in the world. It is a super volcano. It's, uh, yeah. Did he go see, like, Old Faithful? And yes, yes. Fun. Yeah. So he, he really enjoyed it, and he and Cole were together, and they seemed to have had a good time bonding. And in the meantime... Finn and I went to New York City together, and then my mom took Wesley. And so yesterday, we all met up. And I will tell you, I had my doubts. Like, it has taken me a lot of, like, patience (laughs) and planning and, you know, major anxiety about, like, coming back together and packing for different things, right? Like the boys had to have bags for their individual trips. And then we had to be able to go through security in the airport. But I had to put everything on Matt's minivan that we would need when we got here. And so it has just been like a head spinning experience. But now we're all here and all the stuff is here. I didn't lose a child and forget a thing. <laughs> Matt arrived like the my dad was like, you need to bring the title to the to the van because I bet it's you know, you're not going to make it home and uh, you're gonna have to get rid of it. Oh, but like, yeah, optimistic. So exactly. Had all these like fears. But um, everything is totally fine. And we're all together now. And I'm, we're super excited to like start it together but I think it was special for us all to have like one-on-one time with the boys and um, have our own experiences so we'll come together and um, 
officially kick it off, but we are on day six. Day day one is day six. (laughs) Whatever that's worth. Um, It's just, it's a rolling start. Yeah. Well, when you're on the road for, you know, over two months, a rolling start's okay. (laughs) We've got, we've got time. Uh, Well, I hope that the rest of the trip, I mean, I will get to talk to you every week along the way, but I hope that the rest of the trip is smooth sailing and awesome experiences and lots of sightseeing. And uh, I hope your van is still your van at the end of the trip because that, that seems awfully pessimistic to me. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Also (laughs) we forgot the title, so it will be. (laughs) (laughs) Although we didn't really forget Matt intentionally was kind of like, he was like, no, we're not. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. No. I'm like, but if we well, bring it, then the van will be fine. And he's like, no, the van will be stolen and the title will be in it. <laughs> like, fair enough. <laughs> so you've got updates too. What's going on over there? Uh, I have updates that are like nerdy science updates. Uh, in terms of personal life, we're just, we're still trying to settle into summer. I think our summer kind of got off to a like hectic start and we're just, we're just kind of like, Oh no. Okay. We got, we got, we got it. And the kids are like, no, you, you can't actually, you can't actually play on the like Xbox the entire day. You need to go outside. You need to do some reading. And so the kids are starting to figure out that there's other things that they can do. I think it was, you know, it's that typical, like, Oh, I have all this time now. So what's the, what's the play thing that I, that I, that I want to do. And then like take that to obsession level. So we're now like trying, we're reining in. Um, but yeah, we're just sort of settling into, I think what we're trying to do is really treat the summer as just a low key, um, you know, we don't, kids aren't going to camps. Uh, we might do some camping trips. Uh, we have our um, next step of our citizenship uh, is is booked. So we know when our, our civics exams and interviews are going to be. So there's going to be some studying grown up studying, uh, and preparation for that. So, and, and because that's in the middle of the summer, it's, um, it's just meant that there was no bigger trips possible for us. So we're just trying to like, you know, take it low key, get some work done around the house, get some cleaning done and, and just sort of take the summer to hopefully refresh and sort of get caught up on things and not spend all day, every day on the Xbox is kind of the, the major goal right now. Um, but update, update wise, science update, Um, I really wanted to take this podcast to talk about um, the recent updates that I made to the autoimmune protocol because um, I I really firmly believe that I need to use every possible channel that I have to be able to communicate this. Um, They're they're, um, relatively small tweaks in the grand scheme of things, but I think they're really important tweaks. And so I kind of want to go through like the new science that's come out in the last few years. I mean, the Paleo Approach was published um, in uh, January 2014. So it's five and a half years old already. And there's been a lot of science published in the last five years that's very, very relevant to understanding how diet and lifestyle impact immune function. And what I've been doing uh, in many ways, procrastinating finishing up the gut microbiome book, I feel like I'm in this like last hard grind. And so I'm, I'm very happy to get distracted by any other project right now. Um, but what I did was as I've been, um, really diving into, and most of the research that the gut microbiome book is going to draw from is from the last three to five years as well. 
So as I've been reading all of this research and then thinking about not just how that impacts the gut microbiome, but because the gut microbiome impacts the immune system and starting to realize that there's there's some really important insight from this body of scientific literature that needs to be incorporated into the autoimmune protocol. So this, I have started sort of last fall um, and sort of just recently finished doing this very sort of thorough review, doing, you know, spending time every week going through the literature and looking for new studies that have published that I maybe had missed, um, you know, depending on how many projects I have on the go. I'm not necessarily always in um, PubMed at such a level that I see everything that comes out. So doing some really targeted searching for specific topics and basically trying to really understand um, what's preliminary. So we're not, you know, this is interesting. We need to watch this. And there's certainly some some foods that could in the future, that they're currently not AIP, could in the future get added back into the AIP depending on additional studies. Right now, there's some interesting studies that maybe maybe change the balance. So when I'm looking at whether or not a food should be on the autoimmune protocol, I have a fairly complex criteria, but it boils down to looking at how compounds on that food impact hormones, the immune system, and the gut. So that's both the gut barrier and the um, gut microbiome. And so I'm sort of looking at, I've got this whole series of keywords that I look at to try to understand how various compounds in the food versus the food as a whole is impacting those systems. And as we get more science, you start to go like, oh, hey, this one was a, there's pros and cons. When there's enough cons, you kind of go, okay, this is, becomes an early reintroduction. So a food where it's not cut and dry, it's sort of a gray area food, gets eliminated during the elimination phase of the AIP, and then it gets reintroduced. Well, if there's more, more studies that come out that add to the pros column, suddenly you start to go, okay, well, maybe this food gets included on the AIP, but there's um, also this collection of foods that are um, first places to start with troubleshooting. And so it's it's sort of, (laughs) it's really like, you, you kind of have to draw the line somewhere. Do we include this food? And then if we don't get the results that we want, try to eliminate it later, or do we exclude this food and then make it a first reintroduction because it has the potential to be really beneficial? And so some of these foods that kind of walk that line with the new science are maybe shifting one way or the other. And that's that's really what these uh, sort of new um, revisions to the autoimmune protocol reflect is new science that kind of adds to our understanding of some of these gray area foods and shifts... Um, you shift that category a little bit. And so I've just done this, I finished this very, very exhaustive, um, just reading through all of the science and reviewing it all and really trying to understand where the autoimmune protocol needed to, to, to be updated to reflect the new science. It's one of the wonderful things about a diet that is based on scientific evidence is that uh, yo, it works. There's actually um, now two clinical trials that are published using the AIP where the participants are given uh, the Paleo Approach, which is my first book, and it's my autoimmune protocol guidebook, and the autoimmune wellness handbook by Mickey Trescott and Angie Alt. They're taken through Angie's SAD to AIP in six transition program, and then they maintain AIP uh, strictly for an additional four to five weeks, depending on the study. And we're actually like measuring improvements. This is really exciting. There was a, the first study 
um, was published in fall 2017. It was done in patients with active inflammatory bowel disease. So these were patients that were, uh, most of them were on biologics and their diseases were still crazy unmanaged. They um, transitioned to the autoimmune protocol again over that six weeks with what was called a five-week maintenance phase. And 73% of the patients were in full clinical remission by six weeks. So by the time they finished transitioning to the AIP, they were in full clinical remission. And all of the, there's, what's really cool about, um, well, cool, it's not cool at all. It's uh, handy for scientific purposes about inflammatory bowel disease, both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, is that there's actual quantitative measurements that can be taken that measure disease activity. So for a scientific study, that makes it a really good place to start for studying the AIP because you have numbers that directly correlate to disease activity. So uh, these patients, 73% of them were in full clinical remission, 100% saw improvements in those markers of disease activity, and they still all saw continuous improvements in those markers throughout the five-week maintenance phase. So a really compelling study, really awesome out of the gate. And then just published, uh, I think last month in 2019, there was a very similarly designed study on um, women with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. They did the same gradual transition over six weeks, followed by a four-week maintenance phase. And with this one, with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, thyroid, your thyroid numbers are more of a marker of thyroid damage than disease activity. Um, so it becomes, it's, it's not as quite, it's not quite as straightforward to measure, um, how active the immune attack is in Hashimoto's thyroiditis compared to inflammatory bowel disease. But what they were able to measure was a very substantial decrease in what's called the clinical symptom burden. So they had a variety of questionnaires that they used that are standard in medical research questionnaires that measure uh, basically not just like how many symptoms you have, but how much they impact your life. And those, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what they're measured out of, I don't think it's as, as simple as a 100-point scale, but the average was 92 points at the beginning of the study and after 10 weeks, which is really only four weeks on the full AIP, it was down to 29, which is basically going from this is impacting my everyday life to this is a minor nuisance. It's that that kind of huge shift. And they still saw, um, in terms of what they could measure in terms of immune activity, reductions in C-reactive protein, which is a fairly general marker of inflammation, and uh, lower white blood cell counts, which is more specific to what the immune system is doing in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So again, very compelling data. And this is my like super exciting moment to mention uh, for all of our regular listeners who aren't who are listening to this in June of 2019 and not listening to this as a binge listening session in <laughs> three years. Um, but there is a new study that is um, trying to get off the ground to look at very similar again. Uh, the Paleo Approach and the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook as the resources given to the patients, uh, the SAD to AIP and 6 transition program. Uh, this one's going to be on psoriasis and eczema. And they are crowdsourcing funds for uh, this clinical trial right now. And we'll put the Indiegogo link in the, the show notes on this episode. Um, so if you're listening and you're excited about AIP clinical trials like I am, just, you know, go throw them, you know, five bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, whatever makes sense for you. Um, but the there's really no grant funds for these kinds of studies. 
And at this point, the only way this type of research is going to get done is if we, as our grassroots AIP community, um, support them by throwing them some money so that they can pay for the expenses, which is mostly they're paying for the testing so that the participants, right, the participants have enough to do just doing the AIP. You don't want the participants paying for their own testing. It's um, also important to point out, like, we, we don't make any money or kickbacks from that. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're excited to be part of a community that is using science to show that lifestyle and nutrition really does have an impact on overall health. And, yeah. you know, this is something as I went through my, you know, testing for that side pain that seemed pretty obvious to me. And then when I was in with standard medical practitioners, realized, oh, this is still not things that they are learning, right? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, we often surround ourselves in a, in a bubble, in a community of things that, we're used to or people who believe the same things as us or, you know, are willing to get educated on those things. But I think it's important to realize that the majority of Americans, let alone, you know, whatever country you might be listening in, haven't even heard of this because their medical professionals aren't advising them on it. And the more medical studies that we have that come out of PubMed and clinical trials that show improvement, the more doctors will be willing to try it with their patients Mm -hmm. or advise them of it because it doesn't hurt to try it, right? This is- At least include it along with the medication, right? Like I'm not expecting it to be like all of a sudden doctors. I mean, I do think that in most cases, diet and lifestyle should be the first line treatment for autoimmune disease. There's definitely cases where like right out of the bat, you got to go drugs. Like it's that, it's that scary. But even if we can get to the point where a doctor goes, okay, here's your disease modifying drug and here's your diet that I want you to follow. Like that would be amazing. I really hope that the quote for the show is, there are some cases where you got to go drugs. It was good. Um, but yeah, my, my point is just, you know, the more that we can do these studies and, and show, the more likely it is for other people to find them, right? So um, if you have the means to donate even $1 to these efforts, it could help somebody else or you know I don't know what their uh, this particular one if it's a skin condition might not save their lives but do you know what I mean like it's yeah it's really genuinely significant to be able to do these things and the the more science there is on it the more compelling it becomes for medical professionals so I'm excited I, you know I, I just want to highlight like you you talked so quickly through that and I didn't want to jump in and you know I haven't had coffee so I didn't have the energy to jump in because you were so enthusiastic but um the study that said in six weeks what was the percentage of people the first that one that you 70 73 percent that's in like medication probably doesn't have that kind of statistic no nothing and these were these were patients who um, I don't remember how many of them, but it was the majority of them were on several medications for their diseases and nothing was working. These were patients who like, because also what's really important about these studies is um, like our listeners are probably not people who could register for the study. So um, they want volunteers who have never tried any kind of diet for their diseases. So they don't want people coming in from gluten-free. They want people coming in from a standard American diet 
and the the reason for that is you you basically want to start with a clean slate to show the power of the autoimmune protocol, and um, and so uh, so there there are people who are coming from like conventional right like all all you get is a medication and then when that's not working you get a different medication or an additional medication, and to see such quick results. Now I'm I'm going to say that. If you had made me guess which one of these two studies was going to have the more dramatic results, inflammatory bowel disease or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I would have guessed inflammatory bowel disease. But in large part, that's because the food we eat is the environment in which our intestines are like immediately exposed. So as opposed to the thyroid, which is um, going to respond to the nutrient density, to all of the things in the autoimmune protocol that lower inflammation... The um, inflammatory bowel disease has the added effect of being basically bathed in our, the food that we're eating at all times. And so it's, it has uh, those effects plus this direct contact benefit. So you're, you're literally bathing that organ in the nutrients that you're consuming as opposed to having to digest them and absorb them and then integrate them. And so I, I would have expected uh, something, you know, an autoimmune condition that's imp- impacting the smaller large intestine to be a faster responder, but 73% in full clinical remission is, is astounding. And one of the things that, that I think is such powerful data, not just for like the medical community to start taking the AIP seriously, but now we're starting to add, because I get all these questions all the time. Okay, well, uh, I have such and such condition. Is there anything different I need to do? Right? That's a really, really common question. The answer is almost always no. Um, but, uh, but the other question is, like, how long? And these studies are starting to answer that, right? So, uh, hey, if you have inflammatory bowel disease, you have about a three-quarters chance, uh, you know, 75% chance-ish of being one of these really fast responders. If you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you're going to see symptom improvement really quickly, but it's probably going to take longer before you start seeing that reflected in your uh, thyroid panel numbers. Like that's really neat data. And I'm really interested to see, especially comparing psoriasis versus eczema, if I had to guess, and and I can guess now because there's no data for me to, to look at, I would guess that eczema would respond extremely rapidly and psoriasis would respond a little bit more slowly, but that that's reflects psoriasis has a much more aggressive immune activity than eczema. Um, and so I'm like, I'm interested now I've made my hypothesis. Like I'm not putting any money on this cause I'm not a betting person, but like this to me is, is the things that make sense based on what we know of the scientific literature. And now we actually get to test it in clinical trials. It is such an exciting time for the autoimmune protocol. So have you found any, I know you started off by saying updates to things. Have you mm-hmm. found that there's something that you want people to know if they, a lot of our listeners have been doing AIP or modified AIP, or maybe someone is listening to this for the first time and they don't even know what it stands for. Cause we haven't done a basic, like, okay. The what is the autoimmune protocol? protocol? Is. Yeah. So what, I guess, what have you found as a result of these new studies? So in terms of the elimination phase of the autoimmune protocol, I haven't made a very substantial update. What I have done is added, in addition to the nutrient density focus, 
um, for foods to eat, I've added a gut health superfoods focus. And that's through all of this new research on the gut microbiome. Just in the last few years, we've learned that our gut bacteria are controlling the structure of the tight junctions between our gut epithelial cells. So when we talk about leaky gut, most of the time we're talking about things leaking in between cells rather than through cells. And that structure that holds the cells together is what is being impacted in large part by diet, right? So in people with celiac, that is the the structure that's opening like right up in response to eating gluten. That is a phenomenon that's mediated by a protein called zonulin. And what's really fascinating, though, is that our gut bacteria produce zonulin. um, And so it's not all about a gluten reaction. And having the right kinds of gut bacteria reduces zonulin and also um, basically makes those structures tighter so things can't leak in between the cells. And so it, it... you know, we've we've seen, right, there's been for a long time now, there's been um, studies showing that gut dysbiosis is uh, potentially a precondition for every autoimmune disease, meaning that it's part of the development. So we've got genetic risk factors, we have um, exposures like infectious exposures or toxin exposures, and then we sort of have diet and lifestyle. And it's where exposures and diet lifestyle meet up to either cause leaky gut or gut dysbiosis that is a triggering event for autoimmune disease. So we've known that for a long time, but adding in this extra piece of, yo, you can't heal your gut barrier if you don't heal your microbiome. Like they have to go hand in hand because our gut bacteria are controlling our gut barrier. So it makes sense to really nurture our gut microbiome through the autoimmune protocol. Now the autoimmune protocol uh, which I, I'm going to give like the super brief. It is a, a nutrient-dense anti-inflammatory diet that eliminates all foods that are potential drivers of, of immune activity and autoimmune disease while focusing on flooding the body with nutrients and providing both the resources and opportunity for the body to heal itself. And so it's basically uh, a more specific version of paleo. It's a little bit stricter and a little bit more, a little bit more um, systematic. So it involves uh, more eliminations, but also more of a what to eat focus. Um, and then there's a reintroduction protocol where you test your individual tolerance to the foods that are eliminated that have, again, sort of like as we talked about at the top of the show, a gray area status, right? They they may work for some people and not for others. So you sort of test your tolerance to those foods and you find your individual maintenance version of the autoimmune protocol while also dialing in lifestyle factors that are important inputs to how the immune system is functioning. Uh, adding this focus on gut health superfoods really recognizes the importance of restoring the gut microbiome in healing. Most of the foods that are gut microbiome superfoods are also nutrient-dense foods. So it's the, it's a very similar list to the foods that we would eat for nutrient densities. For nutrient density, we'd be eating a wide variety of, of uh, vegetables and some fruit. We would be eating a lot of seafood, and we would be eating organ meat. So all of those things are still gut health superfoods. What adding gut health superfoods does to the immune protocol is recognize that different families of fruits and vegetables feed different species of bacteria and they're independently beneficial. So it's not just about eating eight to 14 servings of vegetables a day. It's about hitting on as many different 
sort of subgroups of vegetables as possible. So getting some cruciferous vegetables, some mushrooms, some roots and tubers, some onion family, some leafy greens, uh, berries and apple family and citrus are all independently beneficial for the gut microbiome. So it's really about trying to hit as many of those different groups of vegetables uh, every single day. And that that's sort of a different way of thinking about the high vegetable consumption on the autoimmune protocol. And then some other foods that are really important for the gut microbiome that we've actually talked about on the show before, and we can link back to those episodes. So um, green and black tea is very, very beneficial for the gut microbiome. Uh, coffee is eliminated on the AIP, but green and black tea is not. So it's uh, not a ca- necessarily a caffeine-free diet, although I definitely, we have caveats in those show about people with really wonky adrenal function, potentially being quite sensitive to caffeine. So just listen to your body with that one. So that falls under the, well, you might want to, if, if you're not seeing the results you want, there's tea is one of those things that is uh, worthy of looking at more critically later down the road. Um, seafood, again, is like fish and shellfish is really, really important for the gut microbiome. Extra virgin olive oil, which we've talked about on the show before, is the healthiest fat for the gut microbiome. Uh, Honey and bee products. So bee products would be things like propolis or royal jelly are all very beneficial for the gut microbiome. So that's become now the preferred natural sweetener on the AIP, Um, still in moderation. But um, but there's actually now sort of a compelling reason to start including a little bit of honey here and there rather than the older version of the AIP would be like, okay, like a little bit of honey or blackstrap molasses or like maple syrup here and there for a treat, not a, not a big deal. And now we start to go, well, actually the, the strict, you know, ideal version of the AIP is not sugar-free. This, the ideal version of the AIP does include a little bit of honey, um, because of this benefit to the gut microbiome. And then, uh, bone broth is also a gut microbiome superfood, uh, fermented foods, obviously, so things like a wild fermented sauerkraut, kombucha, water kefir, um, and edible insects, which I know nobody likes to hear about, but um, the edible insects are uniquely beneficial for the gut microbiome. They have a type of fiber in them that you basically can't get anywhere else, similar to the fiber in mushrooms, but still just just that enough different that it becomes really compelling to figure out ways of throwing throwing a little cricket powder into your smoothie or whatever it is. So those those foods get that's um, super fascinating to me. Isn't I, it? As someone with, you know, a sensitive digestion, I have not been able to successfully add in, for example, cricket. That's the only thing I've tried, um, and I think it's because the exoskeleton is difficult to digest. So I'm wondering, in the instance of the bowel stuff that we were talking about, if those mm-hmm. people would still have success with their, like, if, if you can't get the benefit of microbiome because it's not staying in, like, I'm assuming just don't worry about it, I guess is more of my yeah. question, but I'm also kind of fascinated by it. So often, um, you know, and this is kind of the same conversation where we have with people coming off of a low FODMAP diet, um, where the bacteria that we're trying to support with those types of fiber tend to be very sensitive to our environment. So they, uh, and to like to our gut environment, I mean, so they will die off relatively quickly if they're not getting fed. They need to be in a gut microbiome with certain other species. So if those other species are missing, then they're not going to thrive. 
and they tend to be slow growers. So what can happen is if we're, we're feeding a lot of, you know, jump all in and feeding a lot of that type of fiber and we don't actually have enough bacteria to help us process it is you can sort of end up with basically like it's like it's the effects of really, really high fiber that's not being processed. So it, uh, it definitely impacts the uh, quality of the bowel movement. Um, and so generally, um, like I, all of the research I've done on low FODMAPs really makes me think that it's um, at best a short-term intervention, but FODMAPs are such important fiber types for the gut microbiome that I think, um, and even, right, SIBO experts now just see that as being uh, masking symptoms and not actually a fix. And it would be far more important if you had SIBO or something like that that was driving FODMAP sensitivity to get treated for the SIBO and then work on slowly building up that gut bacteria. But I see that now as being like, a, okay, like pull back, start working on those uh, species, um, take a soil-based organism probiotic like Just Thrive, uh, get some wild fermented foods, you're getting exposed to those species and start working on um, building those gut bacteria slowly. Like recognize that a lot of them have um, a life cycle that's a couple of days long. So, you know, build, you know, make it a, a three month project or a six month project to slowly build up the fiber intake. If um, the powdered version, right, the smoothie um, or the pureed soup is better tolerated, start there and then slowly start working on, uh, you know, more, you know, like a regular soup rather than a pureed soup uh, or steamed vegetables, roasted vegetables, right? And start slowly building those things. But it's, it can be, especially with gut dysbiosis, a large shift in diet can trigger symptoms. And so the, the way that we can kind of get around that is by slowing down that part of the shift and then also recognizing, uh, right. So our, our gut microbiomes are also very sensitive to our stress levels, to our activity levels, to how much sleep we're getting, to our vitamin D status, to our nutrient status. So our, our gut bacteria actually also really care about nutrient density and basically other than B vitamins, B vitamins, they can make most of them themselves. They need all of the same things that we need. They need minerals. They need fat soluble vitamins. They need, um, essential amino acids, essential fatty acids in order for them to build their cellular structures and for them to replicate. So, um, so working on like looking at it holistically and not just, okay, this one type of fiber I don't tolerate. So I'm just going to cut it out rather than like, well, pull back, like how much can you tolerate? Um, you know, is it a quarter teaspoon of cricket powder inside a smoothie? Is that, an, is that okay? Um, and if it's not, then that's, that to me, that red flag isn't necessarily a sensitivity to the fiber, but potentially more of something like an allergy. So allergies can trigger GI symptoms as well. And, um, it's definitely worthy of emphasizing here that there's a lot of similarity in the protein structures in edible insect insects as shellfish. So people with shellfish, shellfish allergies, I apparently can't say the word shellfish. People with shellfish allergies have a higher likelihood of also having insect allergies. Yeah, I remember reading on the label of an exobar years and years ago when it first debuted at Paleo FX, um, do not eat if you have a shellfish allergy. And yeah. I was like, wow, that was the first time I'd kind of put it together. Um, 
you know, the whole exoskeleton thing. Um, and I remember really liking the bars, but not having a good time later with the bars. So I've never tried again or even like, you know, put a small amount in smoothies or anything like that. So I like the, that idea and approach. Are you, um, this is like a total, a total tangent and a much more personal question. Are you, are you, do you have the similar reaction to other nut based bars? Like if you had like a Lara bar or something like that, would you No. Because I'm wondering if it's the crickets or if it's the nuts. It's You're saying it's the definitely crickets. the crickets. Yeah, it's definitely the crickets. Um, yeah, so my, I mean, my inclination there would be to pull back on the dose and see and see what else is going on. You you might just have an allergy to crickets. Good, That's... good to know. But I do think that they are, um, like, I got them for my kids. My kids love them. I think it's such a, a great thing for the earth also like I know we're talking about self and microbiome and whatever but I I know a lot of people freak out at the idea of insect protein and when you're doing something like a powder or a bar honestly it just tastes nutty like you you would never know if someone didn't tell you and it's so very sustainable for the earth it's a as Sarah indicated a healthy protein and I just can't recommend it enough so I was always kind of sad that me personally it didn't sit well with me but yeah. um maybe if I don't have a whole bar maybe because <laughs> that's the only way I've ever tried it right so um, yeah speaking speaking of exo um they have these relatively new they're called uh paleo bites I think and they're like little crunchy balls of nuts. Um, they're not AIP because they have egg white and chocolate in them and nuts. Wait, so like the only ingredient that's AIP is the crickets. Um, but, uh, but for you, Stacy, who've done a lot of reintroductions, um, that might be it. They're so the, a, the chocolate ones are delicious. And I think their other flavors have some other alternative sweeteners that I don't consume, but the chocolate ones I think are sweetened with, coconut sugar honey or something that I don't feel so squeamish about like stevia um and then you could just have one ball that would be like built in (laughs) portion estimation yeah I'm just I'm just saying that they're pretty tasty in two months when I'm stateside that's right uh you know send a reminder to myself um (laughs) all right well I have a city to explore is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners um, yeah, I think, I mean, without going into a, a ton of detail, um, the other changes to the autoimmune protocol are all in the orders of reintroduction. So um, it really has to do with, okay, like if this food, there's maybe some, re- so coffee, for example, um, coffee used to be a stage three reintroduction. I've moved it into stage one, trying it on an occasional basis and stage two on a daily basis. And that's because coffee has some really great phytochemicals and unique fibers for the gut microbiome. And there's been a lot of new research on coffee that basically shows that there's like responders and non-responders in terms of inflammation. So for some people, coffee reduces inflammation and for some people, coffee increases it. And there's a, some papers that are trying to figure out the genetics of why there's this like subset of people that do have an inflammatory response to coffee and as other people benefit from it. So because there is this like potential that those are autoimmune risk genes that are one of the things driving that 
more inflammatory response to coffee. Coffee is still eliminated on the AIP, but because of its now much better established benefits to immune function, if if you do respond well to it, um, it's more compelling to add as an earlier reintroduction. And so I've shifted quite a few things basically based on their benefit to the gut microbiome. So cashews and pistachios used to be separate from other nuts. Turns out they're actually pistachios are one of the best nuts for the gut microbiome. So they've been incorporated back into tree nuts. Um, Chia seeds have been separated from the other pseudograins because the science on chia seeds is quite different from, say, quinoa or buckwheat or amaranth. Uh, Split peas and lentils and garbanzo beans are all very beneficial for the gut microbiome, whereas other legumes not are really underwhelming. So they've been separated out. So you can get all of that information on the changes to reintroductions on my website. All of my resources on my website have been updated. But the the kind of last thing that I want to mention is... One of the things that this process did of like going through all of the science and this, like there's new studies published every single day that are really exciting. And as you start to build, right, you get 10 studies, 10 new studies that show this new thing. It starts to be really important to incorporate that into the autoimmune protocol. So I've recognized that um, especially with um, sort of just the way the Internet and social media is these days, it's really hard to reach uh you know, my entire audience with one thing. So I can't just like make a Facebook post and then guarantee that every single person who follows my work is going to see that information anymore. It used to be that way five years ago, but it's not anymore. And so trying to help people know about these changes and where they come from has been uh, really an exercise in frustration in terms of getting that message out and being able to, to help educate the autoimmune protocol community. And so one of the things that I have done is try to develop a way to communicate not just these changes, but all future changes with people. And I've done that in an ebook. So it's called The Autoimmune Protocol, and it, it is the most up-to-date version of The Autoimmune Protocol. It has all of this information in it, um, but it's also a very comprehensive book. It's over 300 pages and it's very uh, practical focus. So I give some broad overviews of the science, but instead of doing a deep dive into the science, which is still, you know, the paleo approach is still the best place or the autoimmune lecture series um, are still the best places for that. This does a, um, it has more of a, a practical implementation focus. So there's a lot of, um, you know, lookup tables and, and food lists and charts and, and things to really make the information as accessible as possible. And then it has four weeks of AIP meal plans with shopping lists and all of the recipes that go with them. But what's uh, to me is like, it's a, it's a fantastic, it's, it's really my best, like, here's everything you need to get started today. And it's comprehensive and it goes through things like troubleshooting and, and reintroductions. So it's good for my AIP veterans too. To, there's a lot of information there. All of the updates to the AIP are in there. But it also gives me a way to directly communicate because I can literally just upload and update to that ebook and you would have instant access to it. So it's it's also creating this new channel for communicating with the autoimmune protocol community about not just these, uh, you know, it's like, you know, tweaks, I, you know, I don't want to say I, the word change feels too strong, uh, tweaks, updates, 
but also anything else that's relevant to this community, it gives me this way of like directly communicating with the people who it makes um, the most difference to, right? To, to really stay on top of that information. So uh, it's called the Automate Protocol ebook. You can get it on my site. There'll be links in the show notes. And uh, also for the month of June, as a like launch bonus for this ebook, I'm giving away an additional file that is called the AIP Practical Printables. And it's basically all of the like food lists and charts that I would have, when I was first adopting the AIP, would have printed off and kept in my purse when I went to the grocery store. It's basically, I, I thought about everything that would have been useful to just have like <laughs> magneted onto my fridge or, or attached to my grocery list with, you know, with me in those early days. And I've put them all in one place so that they're, you can either carry it on your phone or, or kill a tree and print it off. You don't have to kill a tree. You can use recycled paper. Uh, even better. Recycle <laughs> recycle a tree and print it off. Um, I love that idea. I, I also, um, gosh, I wish that there were these resources when we started, right? Oh, like, my gosh. But yeah. we're so happy to be able to provide them. And even if you're a veteran of this stuff, it might be worth sharing it with somebody else, right? Like these might be oh, the for things sure. like I have someone in my life who I a hundred percent know would benefit from uh, making these lifestyle changes. And every time, like I immediately texted this person, a link to the PubMed study um, showing 75% of people had uh, improvements within six weeks. And we'll, you know, let them know like, Hey, there's, there's a practical way to do this. Like you don't need to be overwhelmed and feel alone. Like, of course I'm there to help, but here's a quick, easy guidebook. Like I legit still do that with my friends and the people in my life. So I love that these kinds of resources are out there to help people still continue to come over to the AIP side of life. <laughs> it's not as sad and scary as it seems, I promise. It, yeah. It, so. No, it's it's a good place. Come, I mean, here's, come with us. But here's the thing is like, we don't do this because we want to not eat chocolate. We do it because we feel so much better. Like, and I love that now there's science to show that to people, you know, like before when we started, it was all, well, let me give it a try. N equals one, you know, all these kinds of things. And now, you know, in less than 10 years, we can point to how many different studies and things that are coming out. I know, you know, the work that we've done, um, highlighting Terry walls and those kinds of things, you know, it's just, it's incredible to, see the progress that can be made. And so it takes time for these results to come through is the thing, but we're seeing them. So we're excited to share them with you. And even if you're an old veteran at this, maybe it'll give you a reason to reach out to that person that, you know, could feel better with their own life and health if they were to make those changes too. So thank you listeners for tuning in we have evidently figured out how to do this on the road <laughs> at least once <laughs> at least once so i believe pretty confidently that we'll be back again next week and i look forward to giving you updates on our exploits we have um events planned i think i've mentioned this but just want to remind people um we'll be in portland denver santa monica houston and tampa florida all doing live events. So if you'd like to come meet me, bring your cookbooks to get signed, or 
be a part of any of those events, I'd love to meet you and I will even give a hug. It is a rare occasion, but if you come out, <laughs> I will do it happily. So um, if you want to get the information on those, um, I actually have just a highlight bubble saved on my Instagram, I think is the easiest way to do it. You could just swipe up to get the details on any of those events. And, um, you know, I've gotten a lot of people saying, well, are you doing something in Seattle? I'm like, no, but Portland's pretty close. <laughs> you know, so, um, it's, it's obviously impossible for us to go everywhere and do everything. We're trying to have an enjoyable family event. So we tried to pick places that were um, general enough so that if you really wanted to come and meet up, um, it would be possible for you. So uh, I look forward to meeting those of you who have already RSVP'd and um, coming back and telling you about how our adventure week two, but really first week goes next week. I'm excited to hear about it. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. That's apparently how we're ending the podcast. I was like, is that how you're ending the show? That's... that's wasn't my plan it's you, just how it happened it was organic leave that dangling chad hanging there is that, is that sure okay. fade fade to music baby great that's 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 all we need what? and i was like a no b no seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.